0: Hello and welcome to another weekly podcast from Hilltop United Methodist Church in Mankato, Minnesota. If you're in the Mankato area, join us every Sunday morning at ten fifteen a.m. and Wednesday evenings at six thirty p.m. If you'd like to learn more, visit us at MankatoHilltop.org. Best of all, God is here with us. Well, so I want to start off this sermon by saying uh, today we're not. I'm not trying to put anybody down by talking about the gospel for losers. That's not what I mean. Actually, does anyone know who that is? That picture? You ever seen that? I'm a Gen Xer, and so this guy was a very popular musician of the Gen X day. He had this song that went really viral in like 1993. I'm a loser, baby, so why don't you kill me? What's that song? Does anybody know? It's by what artist again? Beck. the musical artist Beck. That's the musical artist Beck. And I thought, well, I just got to pick this picture because he had that very famous song. So if you were raising your kids in the 90s, they listened to this song nonstop. And it was a bunch of nonsensical lyrics about beefcake pantyhose and weird things that they just like made up lyrics in the song. But it kind of spoke to a generation for some reason. And the reason I wanted to share it with you today, other than I'm not, because I, other than because I'm a Gen X uh, person, is I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that happen in our world today. I mean, we're two years away from the events of January 6, 2021. And there were lots of commemorations this past week. Several faith leaders gathered at the state capitol and had a prayer vigil and remembered what was going on at that time two years ago. And since that time, in the past couple of years, there's been this rise in sort of like Christian rhetoric and Christian national rhetoric and things that kind of like bubble up in our society. For some reason, that seems to just kind of keep coming back and back. And I'm not sure what all that means for us in Mankato. It's like a a national discussion that's happening, and it shows up on national news, but honestly... Politics is pretty chill in Mankato, but it seems like we have this obsession with it. And I think, honestly, we're in for a few more years of this, at least for the next couple of years, it seems like. It seems like maybe this conversation continues to keep spiraling and spiraling. And even this week, with a new Congress being sworn in, it seems like this is what dominates a lot of the discussion. But I don't really care about what politicians are doing in Washington, honestly. I mean, honestly, truly. But what I do care about is some of the rhetoric that people use, especially if it's Christian rhetoric, because I'm a Christian. And I care about Christianity in our world, and I care how that gets... uh, you know, shared in our world and shared in our media. And I think it's important for me as a pastor and for all of us as Christian people to be Christ followers in all that we do. So I hear a lot of things. um, And just this week, I'm going to give you uh, one, two, three, four, five things that I heard just this week that kind of bothered me just a little bit. Uh, Someone saying, we are going to destroy hell. Uh, this This was... by another Christian person. I thought, that's not accurate. Christ destroys hell, not us. Why is the emphasis on us? Another Christian person saying, anyone who is my enemy doesn't have any chance whatsoever. Really? We're called to love our enemies. Here's another one. The separation of church and state is a myth. In November, we're going to take our state back. and My God will make it so. Hmm. Really? Okay. Here's another one. The church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not supposed to direct the church. Hmm. Here's another one. The Constitution is built upon the Bible. Okay. I could give you lots of other examples of this, but they start to get under my skin just a little bit. Not because of the politicians who said them. I might even agree with some of those politicians. But the fact that they use the Bible and Christianity for their political agenda, uh, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. I don't know if it rubs anyone else the wrong way. And here's the thing. There has always been a tension between Christianity and whatever government it is underneath. So whatever the politics is of a specific time and place, Christianity has always lived in this tenuous relationship between who the ruling authorities are, whether they're Christian or not, and who the Christians are and what they're called to be. So if you go all the way back to the very early days, right after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, for the first couple of hundred years, the Roman Empire and Christianity were at odds. And you know some of the stories, you've heard these before, about how the Romans would capture the Christians, put them on display during the games in the Colosseum, and they would be killed. A lot of times they were executed. And then something changed a little bit in 313 when the Emperor Constantine issued the Edict of Milan. Which accepted Christianity it was the first time that any government had even recognized Christianity as an official kind of religion or group of people. And then, 10 years after that Edict of Milan, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Think how quickly that changed from the Romans, who had all of the different Roman gods, the Greek gods, and now they've gone from that to Christianity and Jesus. A huge shift. So, Christianity has always had a checkered history with governments. Whether it's the various governments in the Middle Ages in Europe forming the Crusades, trying to win back the East for Constantinople and the church, whether it was the Holy Roman Empire, which blended the church and state together, where whoever the Holy Roman Emperor was kind of had a state position and a church position at the same time. And that existed from the 9th century to the 19th century which in all honesty is not that long ago. The 1800s is not that long ago in the broad scope of Christianity. So I'm I'm giving you all of this to say Christianity and governments have always had a checkered history. In fact, it's very fascinating. We could spend a whole year just going through the history of it all. We don't have time to do that. I've done that in seminary. It's one of the more fascinating classes I ever took, Christian history. And I've got some really great Christian history books in my office, and we could spend a lot of time talking about it, but we don't have time to look at that. But this stuff is just fascinating for us to think about. So now, here we are. Move ahead into the new year, 2023. Friends, it's the same issues, isn't it? It's kind of like it's been 2,000 years. Here we are having this checkered history between Christian people and a government. And not just the government in America, but lots of different governments around the world right now. So just like raising kids, there's always issues for each generation. Maybe when you were growing up and you raising your kids in the 90s, it was what? Sex, drugs, rock and roll, right? Those are the issues you had to worry about. It's still the same thing today. We just have new names for them. Pornography, vaping, and hip-hop it's the same thing. The kids are doing the same issues. We have the same issues whether we're raising kids today or whether you were raising your kids in the 90s or whether you were raising your kids in the 50s, whatever they are. Now, I want to tell you right off the bat, I'm not here to moralize about any of this, about any of those things. That's not what we're called to do. A lot of Christian people like to do that, but I don't think that's what our calling is as Christ followers. Because as soon as we start moralizing, we put ourselves in the, in the position of judging. And I'm not saying there isn't a judgment out there. There is, but it's not by us. It's by God. But here's the challenge. We love to put ourselves in that position. So when I heard someone this week say, we're going to defeat the powers of hell, I'm thinking, <laughs> no, we're not. Christ already did that. Why are you putting yourself in the position of God? So this is kind of what irks me about a lot of these things. But here's the thing. Whatever the challenges are that we face in our world, whatever they are of this generation, which they're the same as the previous generations, just with different names, the thing we need in all of it is a Savior to save us from it. That is the thing we desperately need. We only muck it up when we attempt to put ourselves in the role of God. When we try to judge, when we try to fix, rather than letting Christ be the judge and let Christ do the fixing. All this emphasis on what we do and what we do not do puts God kind of on the back seat. See, Jesus has already destroyed the gates of hell. Amen. Amen for that. Why do we think we need to storm those gates again? They've already been stormed. To follow Christ and to put our whole trust in his grace is to let God be God and to let us be God's creatures. And I was listening to another preacher, the preacher of America's largest church Andy Stanley, North Point Community Church in Georgia, he put it this way, and this is what made me think of the Gospel for Losers. Here's how he said it. By every worldly account in the Gospels and all throughout the New Testament, Jesus didn't win. He lost on purpose for a purpose. So prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, he ministered to us by providing healing, by showing compassion, Through the forgiveness he offered in ways that were challenging to their day, through acceptance and through grace. His radical way of life challenged even the disciples, even his friends. And the first century world, it challenged that first century world in many important ways and continues to challenge us in many important ways. And the disciples, they just couldn't get it. They were losers. (laughs) Kind of like we're losers. And I don't mean that in a self-esteem way. What I mean by that is, it's not our goal to win by any worldly measure. See, they thought when Jesus came, he was going to be the Messiah, this new king. Get your army, get your sword, here we go. We're taking on that government. But Jesus was like, "Mm mm-mm, that's not how it works. By every worldly, underscore the word worldly there, by every worldly metric, Jesus lost. The world says the rich will rule, the powerful will rule. And Jesus is like, "Mm mm-mm, that's not how it works. In fact, if you follow that way, you will end up losing. See, winning, and Jesus did win for sure, absolutely, absolutely. He just lost by the world standards, and he won by a completely different standard. So the goal for us then, as fellow losers, is to not win by the world's standards, but to win by Jesus' standards. Just like the disciples didn't get it at the time, and sometimes we still struggle. Sometimes we're like, mm, is peace really possible? Maybe we should force peace. And the moment we do that, we start playing by the world's standards again, and by doing that, then we lose. Jesus is a new king for a new era. His kingdom doesn't follow the ways that we see in our own world, just as the people in Jesus' day would have saw in theirs. He was a new king, but not in the ways that anyone was expecting. He willingly laid down his life. Who does that? What leader does that? Willingly lays down their life. He then takes all of the sin upon his body in this laying down. And in so doing, he provides a saving way forward. He was even forgiving the people who were actively killing him when they were nailing him to the cross. What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And I feel like, man, that's a prayer for our world today. Anytime I see news articles, I'm just like, dear God, forgive us. We don't know what we're doing We think political power is the end-all, be-all. If that's all we can do and just win somewhere else in some other place like Washington, that will solve all of our problems. But Jesus shows us that that ain't true. Nothing about that is true. He died on a cross, and everyone in the first century world was thinking, well, that's it. It's over. He's dead. So much. It was a good run, Jesus, but, you know, didn't quite make it there. I wonder what the disciples were doing that Friday after they left the cross. He was dead, and they brought him down, and they ran back. What were they thinking? Well, who's the next Messiah going to be? And as he laid in the tomb on Saturday, and the disciples are probably run off, scared, thinking, mm, so much for that, Jesus. I mean, we kind of liked what you were doing. We kind of were trying to get it, but mm, I don't know. See, by their standards at the time, when they looked at what happened, Jesus lost. He lost. He was a nice guy to have around for a while, but now he's gone. But then, but then, to shatter all expectations, when he was raised from the dead, once again their world came crashing down as God showed them a new and better way forward. That love cannot be defeated by the powers of sin and death. See, in Christ and in his death, and what looked like a loss at the time, actually turned out to be a gigantic win. A win for God, a win for love, a win for forgiveness, a win for peace on earth, a win for healing. Directly confronting all the powers of its day. And I want to read the translation of the scripture I just read a moment ago because here in the message uh, kind of puts it a little bit more poignantly. This is the message translation of those verses we just heard from the Apostle Paul in Philippians. Here it is, Philippians 2, through 6, uh, 2, 14 through 16. This is the message translation. translation. Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second-guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night so that I'll have a good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all this work for nothing. If we put the emphasis... On the squalid and polluted society, we've missed the whole point of why Jesus came. That's already been defeated. Now, I know that's what some preachers like to do. Rail against society. Talk about how polluted and corrupted society is. Man, I know that. I don't need more sermons on that. That's not hard to figure out. But what are we going to do about it? Correction, not what are we going to do. What has Christ done about that. He called us to be the light then, to then go and shine the light in the darkness. So yes, the world is corrupt, and yes, we are a polluted society. That hasn't changed, just like in generations past. Just as in the early days when the Apostle Paul wrote these words down, society hasn't changed much. Sin continues to infect us as people. It still corrupts the politicians of our day. But we are called to be Light bearers. Mm. Light bearers. To carry the light-filled message of the gospel so that people can find us in the midst of darkness. So rather than rail on the darkness and rail on society, our calling is to carry the light. What is that light? It's the light of Christ. It's the light of Christ that came into the world. His light. We carry that. When we carry Christ with us, now we are actively like a flashlight, shining light in the midst of the darkness. When you shine the flashlight in the midst of the darkness, the roaches scatter. They're gone. They're gone. See, we are not called to form an army and let's get everybody bound, force our will. No. Christians have done that throughout the centuries, absolutely. We're called to form a church. Man, a church is way different than an army, isn't it? We're not called to form a political alliance. We're called to give our allegiance to God, to let Christ rule in our hearts and nothing else. See, we're not called to squash our enemies and vanquish them. No, actually, Jesus said we're called to love our enemies, even those whom we disagree with. And we're not called to save ourselves, we have a Savior. We're not here to win in any sense, in any worldly sense. We're not called to win and vanquish the enemy in any worldly sense. Christ has already defeated the powers of sin and darkness. Amen. See, in all dark places, whether that dark place is my heart, whether that dark place is a dark part of our world, whether that darkness is the difficult systemic problems of something like racism or human trafficking, the only solution to any of those is to let the light shine right in that darkness, to pierce that darkness. When Christ's light shines, it just scatters that darkness away. When we carry that light with us into those dark places, God does the work for us. It's not what we do. It's His light shining through us that just scatters that darkness away, whether that darkness is my own heart or whether that darkness is in our world. That light shining. Just as John said in his first chapter light came into the world. People love darkness, but the darkness was cast away by the light. He also talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus did in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In that same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This light is not our light. It is the light of Christ shining in and through us. So friends, here in the church today, We're not called to win, at least not by any worldly metrics. We are here today to stock up on light, to grab some light, to grab some batteries for our flashlight, to let that Christ light, to get with other Christian people to gather that light. We need a lot of that light because as we leave here and we go out into the world, guess what? You're going to find darkness. It's there. The world can be a very dark place. When we leave here and go out in the world, it's not hard to find the darkness. It is there. You head to class at the university, there's places of darkness there. You're going out to a construction site later this week, yeah, there's places of darkness there. You're meeting with other people this week, yeah, they might expose some darknesses within them or within me or anyone else. But there is also tremendous light. Tremendous light that shines when Christ pierces through that darkness. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I need help seeing that. I need help seeing that. Sometimes it seems like the darkness can be more powerful or stronger, but I know that all it takes is just a flick of the switch, and that light shines, and it scatters the darkness away. I know there is a greater purpose than winning by any worldly standard. And the moment that light shines, Christ's saving work works in my life, works in our world. It it points me to the greater purpose, that Christ saves even me, all of us from wandering in darkness. So, friends, we're all kind of (laughs) losers. By any metric that the world would place upon us, you're going to go out and you're going to want to share light and people are like, peace on earth, pie in the sky, doesn't work. you be like, I know it works. I've seen it. I've experienced that light. (sighs) Ah, The rich eat everyone else. The powerful is the way forward. No, actually, humility and self-emptying and humbleness provide a greater way forward, don't they? See, the gospel changes everything. It changes our world. It changes our hearts. It changes our minds. We give thanks to God for that this day. Amen. And may it be so. Thanks for listening to another podcast from Hilltop United Methodist Church in Mankato, Minnesota. Don't forget to visit us online at MankatoHilltop.org.